Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And Father, we thank you for this word. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So last week, we, uh, I actually got an email this week that I was really encouraged by. Somebody from the church said um, that they have a lead on a good contractor that could install water buckets in our ceiling that I could basically use to dump water on people who are asleep. All these guys over here, I, I shared how it's a struggle for me as, as a pastor, having been a Navy SEAL instructor, when I see people doze off. My inclination is to yell and to scream and to wake everybody up, to send them to the ocean, to make them do push-ups. It never has gone over well in the church. But last week's passage, Paul starts out with, and he says, to, to wake up for the hour is here. We're to do this. And, and we mentioned from Romans 13, this idea that we're to love one another within the body, outside of the body of Christ, that we're to be a people of love. And he ends with this picture in verse 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. He's saying, guys, the time is short. The Lord is going to return or you're going to be with him. Even if you live to say 200 years old, the time's going to go by like that. We're but a vapor. And Paul says, wake up. This is real. And then the first issue that he goes to is tension that would have been found at the church in Rome. The church in Rome was a church that Paul didn't know any of the people personally. He had relationships with people who'd been there. He'd heard about them. He desired to go there. Uh, the church was a huge composite of Gentile believers made up of a smaller contingent of Jewish believers. And within these two groups, there were vast differences of convictions, beliefs, prejudices. And when they got together, there were tensions. And so Paul is going to today cover one of the things that seems silly to us. It was overeating meat or not eating meat. It, it really doesn't apply in our culture in many respects. 
But, but this was a hot topic. And, and how did they as Christians find unity in, in the midst of deeply divided convictions? It strikes me as interesting that in the high priestly prayer found in John 17, as Jesus knew it was his last night on earth, he, he prays this prayer that's been recalled the high priestly prayer. One of the things that he prays or the focus of his prayer that I should say is that there'd be unity amongst the men that were with them that night and for the followers that would come throughout the centuries that his church would have unity. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. The difference is you can be united in purpose, but then there's variance in how that works itself out. Jesus didn't pray for there to be mega churches. He didn't pray that his word would go out. What he prayed for is that those who believed would be united because if there's unity within the body of Christ, that means there's, there's love. And if there's love within this organism of the church, the world will know that we follow him. We all have different backgrounds, opinions, convictions, prejudices. It's a bad word, but they're prejudices. We have them. You probably don't see them. As I've been thinking about this text, some issues as a pastor that I've come to seem some of these to me, I think they're no big deal. I don't even really, it's not even an issue. It's just my vote. I thought about having everybody raise their hand. Thumbs up if you're for this, thumbs down if you're against it. And I thought that's probably not a good idea to maintain unity in the church. So I'm not asking for a vote of your opinion. I'm going to list some things. Some of these things, when you hear them, you'll know exactly where you stand on them. The first is politics. Do you know that I know Christians who love the Lord with all of their heart and they're Democrats? And they, th- they can't understand how you could possibly be a Christian and be registered as a Republican. And I know the Republican Christians who think the same thing about Democrats. And I think this is so funny. Because there's different convictions that led them to these things. Worship styles is a big hot button. Contemporary or not contemporary. Traditional or loud or quiet or instruments, no instruments. These are, are, are great dividing things. Then there's, there's music, which is different than worship at church. Let me explain. I got a discussion with Grace this week over this to see how she felt about it. She, my daughter, the eight-year-old girl, loves the Saturday morning kids show. For those of you that aren't from here, Saturday morning kids show, uh, Calvary Chapel on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. They, they produce a series of show with adventures and odyssey, birthday announcements, all sorts of fun stuff. When they begin, they begin with songs. Now, the songs that they sing are set to music of the day, but they've just taken all of the words and they've reconfigured the words to very christ-like in the words that they put on and like i think i've heard like stairway to heaven back in black and i i hear all these songs like rock it out i'm thinking can't believe they're doing that just reminds me of the old days and i just it kind of bugs me well you kind of see where i'm going but that's one side of me i'm not saying i'm not defending that position and so i'm like grace what do you think about that she's like dad that's silly these are all good songs she has no background and there's a great divide over music is that okay or not okay A lot of people in the church think, oh, hymns, those are spiritual. But if we were to go back in history, you'd realize that most hymns are actually set to music that was be playing in the pub, that they've reconfigured the words. But because we're farther from that culture, we think it's more holy, but I won't go further into that. 
translation of the Bible. In this church, it's really not a big deal. But there are parts of this nation and even in our city that if I was to show up with this translation and use a New American Standard or NIV or whatever, that I could be judged a heretic. Because if Jesus used the the King James Version, it's good enough for me. Now, that was going too far. You guys laughed. The, the first service did laugh. It's okay to laugh. But, but we get our preferences. What's next? Alcohol. Another hot topic in the church. Is it okay for a Christian to consume alcohol or not to consume alcohol? Holidays. Thursday's Halloween. How do we handle Halloween? Church is deeply divided. Not this church, but church at large. This is an issue of great contention. Not even just Halloween, but you're talking, look, maybe Thanksgiving is the one non-debated one, but man, there's like problems with Christmas, Easter. None of them have Christian origins. Pork. This one really rubs me the wrong way. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was about three, two, three years ago, it was around this time of the year, and I, after the message, a guy approached me. He came up to me at the end of the service, and he said, that was a great message. I agreed with everything you said, except for what you said about pork. And I'm like racking my brain, because it was like, I didn't have, I'm like, pork. I'm like, I studied the text all week. I write out my notes, but I rarely actually use my notes. Writing out the notes, normally he puts it in my heart. So I'm like, I'm scrolling through my notes in my brain going, where in the world did pork come up? I have been known to get a little sidetracked. I'm like, was there a sidetrack? And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, but where did I speak on pork? And he's like, during the announcement times, you said that we were having this Thanksgiving celebration and you're super excited about the pork for the Thanksgiving celebration. I'm like, I am really excited. I love pork. And he's like, well, I heard a guy on TV saying that you're totally wrong and not a good Bible teacher. And I was like, oh, well, I'm sorry, but I, I hold another opinion. And the guy hasn't come back since. <laughs> there was more pork for me that night. <laughs> That's, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. Sundays are Saturdays for worship. Obviously, most of you are here on a, Saturday, on a Sunday. But there are people who think you should worship on a Saturday or another day. Wealth or poverty, is it okay to have money or should every Christian take a vow of poverty? Vaccines, another one that I've seen Christians that are sharply divided over. Education of children, one, I, one that kind of surprised me. Is it okay to send your kid to public school? Okay to send your kid to, to, to uh, you don't send them to public, uh, to private, whatever, <laughs> to homeschool. You don't send them. Should you homeschool or are you supposed to uh, go to public school? Deep, deep tension. When I restarted this church, the one I didn't see was Sunday school, how to handle Sunday school. I, I just wasn't an issue I'd ever, ever dealt with. But like, what are we going to do? Are we going to have Sunday school or not have Sunday school? I had no idea how, how sharp. And the people that had opinions, it surprised me that a lot of times it was people that were like past kids. Like it just, that's, I just was blind. How do we handle this? And the thing that I really love about this church is the vast diversity of of beliefs amongst people there are people here who who for all of these issues last service like i, I mean and even this service like there's sometimes i'm not looking left or right i'm just listening to him and not letting my thoughts be known which is fine 
But I love that this church is really loving and that there are people who really have strongly opposing views on certain things, but that we're able to keep the main things the main things. And, and what are the essentials? And this is the heart of this text. As he begins, look at, he says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, the first thing we got to deal with is, is accept. In our, in our culture, to accept something means, regardless of your conviction, regardless of your belief, regardless if the person is right or wrong, you're supposed to basically acknowledge and affirm that position. This isn't what... This is not what this word means. This word is about receiving somebody in love, regardless of your background, regardless of your past, regardless of your position. Now you're welcome. We're we're here. And and the thing that strikes me, this it, it, it says dealing with opinion. These are secondary issues, issues that aren't of vital concern. Clearly, in the other places in the Bible, the Christian is to stand firm for certain doctrine. But this is over non-biblical Matters, matters that the, the Bible doesn't speak on, but issues that through the scripture that, that people come to deep seated convictions. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith. This passage gets confusing. It gets confusing because regardless of whatever side that you're on. It's clear that there's a weak and that there's a, there's a weak and a strong person in this passage over a certain issue. I can see it, but as we follow through, it's very easy to get lost because both people, whether you're weak or strong, you both think that you're the strong one, and then the other person is the weak one because they think differently than you. And so first, he says, the one who is strong is to accept the weak in faith. Next week, as we finish up this chapter, you'll see that there's a a sensitivity, the one who's strong. But he doesn't say what the... The problem is here. He, he gets into it in verse two. What's the issue? And I confess. I've totally misapplied this verse for the last two weeks or two weeks ago. Intentionally, because I thought it was funny and humor goes a long way in my book. But I know a couple of Christians who are vegetarians, not for theological convictions. So I made it my point to email them all of this verse to say that I was praying for them because notice the second part of verse two. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. I mean, if that wasn't a softball to start harassing my vegetarian friends, totally. But it wasn't. They're not theological issues. They have personal preferences. Whatever. I was wrong. I won't make an excuse. But, but, but notice the issue here. Verse two. One, one person has faith to eat meat. The other person doesn't have faith to eat the meat. The, the one that doesn't eat the meat is the weaker one. Now, what's going on with meat? This makes no sense in our context. Now, if you go back to Rome during that era, there was meat. There was also idolatry, and they would sacrifice an animal to to an idol of whatever the idol was. They would never use the whole amount of the animal, and the leftover meat would then be sold at the market. The market would be affordable. It would be cheaper meat that was sacrificed. Now, the Jewish person who had deep-seated convictions over meat that had been sacrificed to idols, that idolatry was very, very real. However, we'll notice if we go to chapter 15, verse 5, 15, verses 1 and 2, I'm not going to read it, but Paul, who is Jewish, who is a Pharisee, he identifies with the stronger person in this passage. So Paul would eat meat. But the Jewish like, that's been issued, or issued, it's been 
a sacrifice to idols. I will only eat meat if it's been slaughtered through the appropriate process, having a rabbi present and can say, this is kosher meat. But now the problem is, is even if it was labeled kosher, you just couldn't know. Guys, if I owned a water bottle company, do you know where the water bottle would come? The water would come from? It would come from a hose. And I would label it fresh mountain spring water. That's why I'm not in the water business, because the temptation would be too great. Now, Anna growing up in Spain, they eat rabbits in Spain. And if you go to the meat market in Spain and you want to buy rabbit, you'll only buy a rabbit that still has its head on it. Do you know why? Because the body of a cat looks the same as the body of a rabbit. And so to ensure that the meat you're getting is truly rabbit, and I don't know if cat ta- a cat must taste like rabbit. So if there was no head, they assume it's a cat. So I'm not going to buy this animal, so leave the head on. And so the, the, the person that, that's the weaker one here, they're like, I don't want any meat because I really, even if you tell me it's kosher, it may have been sacrificed to an idol And my conviction is so strong that I would be defiling my relationship with God that I'm just going to abstain from all meat. So these are the two groups. These are the problems. Now notice verse three. There are two things here. We're going to take them one at a time. Maybe, maybe both together. I'll see. Now there's the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. This is fascinating. You might have to think. This whole passage is great because what we're instructed to do, the apostle, what God wants, is he wants you to think through stuff. So this person who has liberty to eat whatever they want to eat, the problem that they might occur is contentment, or not contentment, contempt. It's very two different meaning words. The person that has the strength to eat all kinds of meat, regardless if it's been sacrificed to an idol or not, the concern here is that they might develop contempt, anger, animosity towards the weaker brother. I don't know if I want to... I, I, well, let's, let's, I'm talking to myself. Thanks. You guys are welcome to join the conversation. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to address this. How, how does... The person who has the maturity and the freedom to eat meat, if that's been infringed upon, how does that breed out content, contemptment? Now, if you have freedom, I'm going to tell a story of when I was in, I'm going to, my friend Andrea, he's a missionary we support in Florence, Italy. When we visited him, one of the things that he wanted to do is take us to get a Florentine steak and it's, this, I mean, it literally is this thick. And I guess they get the grill super, super hot. And they basically slap the meat on there for like just 15 seconds. And then they flip it over and another 15 seconds. So it's like still twitching when you get it on the plate. Amazing. And so he'd been talking about this steak for days before we were going to go. And we'd also started having a conversation about alcohol. I personally don't drink, but I'll get into that later. So I don't consume alcohol anymore. And and he's like, brother, you've got to have it with a glass of wine. And I'm like, brother, I don't. 
I don't drink. And I'm okay with you drinking. I'm not being critical of you drinking. There's no, I have, I'm okay. You want to get a glass of wine? Get a glass of wine. And he's like, you don't understand, my friend. That's my Arabic accent. It's supposed to be Italian. (laughs) I'm still trying to harness the Italian accent. But he uses his hands a whole lot more. And he's like, when you take a bite of this steak and you follow it with the red wine, there's this intertwining in your mouth and a marriage takes place in your throat on the way to your stomach. Brother, you can you must. And I'm like, if you insist, I'll have a glass of wine. I don't want to stumble you. I'm willing to. He's like, no, 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 no. I could never do that to you. And so then I ate the steak with water. And he just the whole time, you're missing out. And so it was like this big teasing thing. Now, now to put myself in Andrea's shoes, is he fine biblically to have a glass of wine with his meal? Absolutely, he has that freedom. Now, place yourself in the Christian shoes with alcohol, because I'm on the other side. I, I'm trying to think of other freedoms, but I don't. That I have this freedom to have a glass of wine with a meal. The issue in the scripture is drunkenness. It's absolutely clear. The issue is drunkenness, not having a glass of wine. And so if I have this freedom to have a glass of wine and I find myself in a setting where the weaker person's telling me, like, listen, five tables over, there might be another Christian who might be struggling with alcohol. And if they see you who have this glass of wine, you could totally cause them to stumble. So don't drink. Now, the person who has their freedom encroached upon us like. Christ has set me free. Why do I need to subject myself to your bondage? You're driving me crazy. And you can do that. So this is the whole, the the freedom, the person who has maturity over whatever the issue is. I chose alcohol because alcohol is a one and I'm going to continue making fun of myself later on. That the person who their freedom is to be to be restricted for the sake of the weaker brethren, you need to guard yourself. And, and it's not like you're strong in all areas and weak in all others. We we have we you have areas in your life that you're strong. You have areas that you're weak. In the areas that you're strong, that there's a weaker brother that doesn't have the same strength as you, to neglect your or to restrict your liberty for the sake of being sensitive to where they are. Don't let contentment boil up in your heart. Now, on the other hand, he says, now the one who does not eat, the weaker one, is not to judge the one who eats. Now, staying on the drinking, the alcohol, and when I say drinking, I'm speaking on drunkenness. I stopped consuming alcohol because I don't have the gift of moderation. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Amen? There was like three in the last service. There's like probably two of you here. Like I'm an extreme type A personality. Like if you're going to do it, let's go all in. That's how I ended up being a pastor. I just wanted to read through the Bible. Then I kept reading through the Bible. And then, hey, there's a class out there. There's a class out there. Hey, what are you going to do as a Navy SEAL with uh, these, all these degrees? I guess I got to be a pastor now. I didn't really think that one through. 
but now the weaker brother. So, so I didn't have the gift of moderation. I struggled, man. I would get wasted. I would then get convicted. I would have like a day or two of sobriety and then I'd fall. Then I'd have a week of sobriety. Then I'd have like three months of sobriety that I'd have six months of sobriety. And eventually I reached the point, I think it was about 14 years ago. One of my dear friends got married. And I was the best man. And I did a, I did a shot of whiskey with him before the wedding. I didn't get drunk, but at that point drinking just what like any alcohol just wasn't sitting right with me. And so that was like the mile marker for me. I remember he got married in August. And so it's like, oh, there's my, I basically was like, hey, it's been six months since the wedding. I haven't had anything to drink. Then I made it a year. Ooh, then I made it two years. Then I made it three years. Then I made it four years. Then I made it five years. Then I made it six years. And then by seven years or whatever, I don't know what year it actually was. Look at me. I'm a pretty strong Christian. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't run with girls that do either. I go to church every Sunday. I tuck in my shirt now. I comb my hair. I am pretty good. Now I got this guy who wants to serve me a glass of wine with this Florentine steak. And I agreed with him totally in everything that I said. But there are things that we think and then our heart kind of like does other stuff. And it's like, dude, I can't believe, don't you know the problems that alcohol causes and destroys people's lives? Then I'm like hot and I go to the bathroom and it was hot and I came back in Italy. They drink that nasty water, Pellegro. It means, I think it, I see it on the beaches when it were contaminated waters. It means danger. And they named their water. Is it Pellegro? Pellegro? Pellegrino. I see danger. It's contaminated water with bubbles. It's nasty. I avoid it like the plague. Uh, you got to ask for special water in Italy, the water that's normal water. I just give me hose water, just plain old tap water. And so then I go to the bathroom and I'm super, super hot. And there at the table is this, in hindsight, I recognize it's a champagne glass. I just thought it was a fancy Italian water glass because it was like bubbly stuff and the water looked a little brown. I'm like, well, maybe they're giving me some tap water with bubbles. How'd they do that? I don't know. But I'm like, you know, I don't care. I'm like, Whoa, that was champagne. I look at my wife like, why didn't you warn me? And she's like, you knucklehead. I thought you would come to the table, see a champagne glass, see bubbles in it, and you would assume it's champagne. And so then we got a big laugh, but I was so thankful for that day a couple years ago because what it did is it, it removed this whole, I can't say, oh, I, I haven't drank in 14 years. It may seem silly, but this legalism is cropping up. And then like we had a good laugh. And the next Sunday, we found ourselves in Spain at the church where Anna grew up. And we're saying, oh, best Sunday ever. It was a potluck Sunday. And so I'm sitting at the table because the kids that Anna used to babysit are now like 14 years old. So I didn't realize it because I had my, my, my back to everybody. And there was shrimp on the table and just awesome Spanish meat. And there's Coke. And I'm drinking my Coke. I can't speak a word to you. I'm like, oh, muy bueno, muy bueno. Mas, por favor, mas, mas. And I'm eating, eating. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then it comes to my attention that this is just the appetizer. And I'm like, this is the main course is still coming. I want to do potlucks in Spain. And finally, like, hey, if you want more shrimp, the table's up there. So I get up and I walk to the shrimp table. And as I turn around to the table, 
What do I see? On every table, there's beer and wine bottles. And I was like, and I wasn't as dramatic. It's funnier being dramatic. But like literally in my mind, it's like, I am such a legalist. I got to get over it. Because God convicted me with alcohol because I need rules to protect myself. But he gave these convictions to me, not to you. And he's given you convictions that he hasn't given to the person next to you. And look what he says here. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one that does. We like rules. In the book, The King James Controversy, the guy, uh, White is his name, in dealing with the King James issue that's not really an issue here, he says that people desire certainty over truth. The truth in the script, there are issues that are secondary issues that are not as black and white, and we have to guard ourselves. It's good to have convictions, but you need to understand the difference between your deep-seated conviction and what the Bible says is actually a sin and is not a sin. I don't have time to go into translations, I don't think, but even in translations, like I've seen my own heart. Like I, I use the New American Standard kind of because I like the Bible. I went through Bible call. All my notes are right where I put them. I can flip through, find anything. But really in my heart, like I would probably be teaching out of the NIV because I think it just is way easier to follow and I want people to be reading the Bible. And I don't know. The other one that's not a big deal for me is dress. Not dresses. Like I don't wear dresses on the side. I gave that up in high school. <laughs> And, uh, but, but attire is a big issue in some circles, big issue uh, for me. This wasn't my issue. I kind of came to Christ through, through, uh, Calvary chapels. And I'm not saying Calvary chapels are perfect. A lot of my dear brothers are Calvary. The Calvary chapel has plenty of its own legalism, namely around drink translation, but not about attire. You could show up and I mean, if you're the pastor, you could preach in shorts, flip flops and. T-shirt's optional. So, so how you dress, it, that was the thing that really like got, got me back with the Lord. But now my wife grew up in independent, fundamental Baptist circles. There are certain things that, it's like syncopated music. I don't even know what that is, but it's bad. <laughs> Translations of scriptures could be bad. How you dress is bad. On this last trip to Spain, there was at that time, Anna's dad was still in independent fundamental Baptist circles. He left because he recognized that what he held to wasn't true to the scripture. And so he had to resign. Then another pastor came and then another pastor came. And the pastor that came was extremely, extremely legalistic. We were warned about this because Anna's mom and her sister went to Spain before us. And Anna's sister was irate. Because the guy's sermon really had nothing to do with the Bible. He had a PowerPoint presentation showing what was acceptable and not acceptable to wear as a lady. Don't even talk about pants. And when you talk about a dress, it better go to your ankles. And I guess she sat there as he's got a picture of what's acceptable. She was just fuming, grabbing her dress and pulling it up, pulling it up, pulling it up as high 
We need to guard ourselves and our convictions from becoming judgmental legalists. It's not saying that convictions aren't good. Convictions are great. Freedom is great. But in the midst of this is love and sensitivity and recognizing what the main things are. It's sad when Christians divide over non-essentials. Wedding bands. You would not think that wedding bands would be something that Christians would fight over. If you go back to the Victorian era, which I think is in the, I don't know. It's when all those bad shows present day come out like the, you know, never mind. 1500, I don't know. When they talk funny. And Canadians during that time thought that a, a Canadian Christian thought to wear a wedding band was like flashy and presumptuous of a Christian to display all of that thing. So how could a, a, a Christian wear a wedding band? That same Canadian Christian was to cross the border of the United States without a wedding band. The American Christian would look at that Canadian and say, how could you be married and not have a wedding band on? Because you're just saying you're fair game to all of the men. And it seems really funny to me looking back because it's not something we deal with. The stuff we deal with isn't as funny. Now, Spurgeon is a name we all know. Spurgeon and Parker. I don't know if you know Parker. Parker's a different guy. Spurgeon and Parker were very close friends. So close that they used to share their pulpits. They used to do pulpit exchanges. They let one another preach in their pulpits. Until the day that Spurgeon learned that Parker went to the theater, to the show, to, to, to a play. Then he was like, I can't believe that man would go to that secular arena and go in there. He's no longer preaching in my pulpit and I'm breaking fellowship with him. Wow. Then Parker didn't really like that. So then he started his own attack because Spurgeon smokes cigars. So how can he be a good Christian man if he smokes cigars? And so they never recovered from this divide. Spurgeon, when asked, like, how, how, what's the deal with this? He's like, well, the deal is Parker's wrong and I'm right. And he's like, well, how do you know that smoking a cigar is okay? He's like, well, I never do it in excess. What does that mean? He's like, I never smoke more than two cigars at the same time. (laughs) He was known for his wit. And look what it says at the end of verse three. I got to move along here. Second part of three says, for God has accepted him. You're not the judge who eats for God who's accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master? He stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord who is able to make him stand. We're going to cover with judgments a little bit later. I want to sort of fly over this, but the issue is who are you to criticize or to judge this other person? It makes me think of what I often uh, cop and fireman theology. As a chaplain, I've become more familiar with being on bad scenes. And it's, I ride with police officers. And police officers are a funny bunch. When there's some sort of injured person not now if a person's like 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 they're gonna die in the next three minutes then they'll help but if the person's just bleeding and they're probably going to survive cops just are sort of like can we get an ambulance whenever you get a chance just come there's a guy he's he's hurt pretty bad it's a good one and he's like looking around he's like now looks like this knucklehead that's bleeding out looks like i think i smell alcohol 
Yeah, I think, hey, what's that code for drunk driving again? And they start getting all their codes, all of their tickets. Like, the, let's see, how can we charge this guy for this crime? Then the fireman shows up. And cops kind of like make some joke at the firemen. The firemen get all up in there. They don't really care who did what. They just see a person that's hurt. And they want to help this person. They're not about pressing charges or anything like that. They help them. They walk off. And the, and the issue is, is that we as Christians tend to be more like cops. That we want to go around like we're God and issue people tickets. <laughs> You're drinking? I see in your trash can that there's three water bottles, not water bottles, wine bottles in your trash can. I bet you drank all of those by yourself last night. I'm going to issue you a ticket. Where we're supposed to be like firemen. I see you're struggling. I want to help you, not to judge you. I want to help you in your walk. Moving on, we'll get into judging later. Verse 5, he says, The one, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes today observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So with this, the the issue is days. The, The Jewish people, they had all of their feasts and celebrations. There was the Sabbath, a great part of their life. And then to the Gentile who's a believer, like, man, every day is the same. You worship God on every day. That doesn't really matter. But this was a great divide. And here we sit. We're, we're literally about to enter Hurricane Alley of the holidays. We have Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, Easter. Boom, 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 boom. We can't, like, get rid of all these holidays. They're coming. How are you going to celebrate them? I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Like, I I really don't care. I mean, I care. That sounds bad. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to care. I'm supposed to be more sensitive. But what I want you to do is I want you to think, why do you do what you do? Or why do you not do what you do? The scriptures over and over and over want us to think and to consider our actions. Look at verse 5. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. As parents, we need to teach our kids to think, to consider. If you force your children to do something without explaining to them or allowing them to reach the conclusion of your own, you're, you're not going to win them over. It doesn't work. There's a danger, though, because if you teach your kids to think and to go to the scripture as a standard, you run the danger that your children might reach different convictions than you. <laughs> Happened in my house this week. Thanks. I mean, whatever. Halloween. I really don't care about Halloween. It was never anything to me. It was about dressing up and getting as much candy as you could. Or as I got older in high school, I realized that those suckers, those people who put the bowl in front of their house and say, please just take one piece of candy. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm out here. I'm going to go to the next door. Like it was all about candy. That's all it was. The Halloween means nothing like to me. Like it, if you want to get dressed up, great. Please don't involve me in it. Not because I have care. Unless we're doing the Keith Green thing like last year. Then I'll dress up like a, like a hippie and sing Keith Green songs and then provide candy. 
It all changed when I was in Bible college. I had class on Halloween. I was upset. Well, I was happy because I didn't have to deal with Halloween. But then when I got to the church, I was all upset because the church was doing this big harvest festival. That's like a Christian thing for Halloween. So they had this huge harvest thing. And so I'm all ticked off because they're doing it in my parking space. And so I've got to park like a click away or like a thousand yards for you non-military types. It was, I had to hump to class. I'm like walking going, I can't believe they would use my parking spot. And I've got to walk all of this way. And I'm like ticked off. I finally get to the class and I open the door and there's only one other person. It's a a 50-year-old woman and she's crying. And I see her and immediately I... She's crying. I don't, I don't want to. And she sees me. And I look at her. I'm like, are you doing okay? I'm pretty upset too about the parking. <laughs> I was like, like, are you, are you, like, are you, are you, you're going to be okay? We boys don't really, we, we see crying with girls and it's like, oh, it's like, please. And then she starts talking. And she said, I thought this school was like a Bible-believing school and church. Shadow, it's like under David Jeremiah. It's like, it is. It is. And she's like, I can't believe they're having a harvest festival. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm upset too. Like the, and she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I, I was raised pagan. I'm a witch. I'm like, what do you mean? You like dressed up as a witch? Like what? Like... Like, like the, never mind, the genie, you know, whatever. But I'm like, what do you mean a witch? And she's like, like a witch. I'm like with a broom and a hat or like, she's like, no, like I was into witchcraft. My whole family, I'm from a long line of witches and Halloween is totally evil. Like you are a nut job is what I was saying. Like that's what I was, I'm like, but then I'm like, I, I knew you weren't supposed to say that, but this is just where I was then. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she started talking. She's like, we, we do sacrifices and all sorts of. She started explaining all this stuff. And thankfully, another brother came to like really get me out of it. And, um, and it really shook me up about Halloween. I'm like, man, this is like Halloween isn't just about getting as much candy for some people. And so then this week, I have my life. I kind of go through like Halloween, Halloween. If you want to do Halloween, great. Dress up, whatever. Grace comes home and she's like, Dad, I got a real problem. I don't really want to go into her problem, but it relates to Halloween. See, we don't go around saying, Halloween's of the devil. Don't we are Christian. That's not our attitude at all. We just kind of like, oh, here comes Halloween. Let's get to Thanksgiving. Eh, Keith Green thing we did last year. We all got dressed up. We had fun. I I really don't care. But but in this little girl of mine, she like, Loves the Lord. She reads her Bible. And she does not like Halloween. Her conviction is very different than my conviction. And so we talk through all of the possibilities. There's a side of me that says, oh, just suck it up and get dressed and do whatever you want to do. Have fun. Lay back. But then I look at this text. And why does this come up when I have to be teaching this text? The issue she's thought through, she's deeply convinced of her own accord. And so now as a dad that I'm like, okay, I want to, what I don't want to do is to go against her conscience. 
Conscience is a very important thing. It's not perfect, but God uses it. And if you go against that warning light that God's given you, even if it's incorrect, you get used to breaching your conscience to where it's like, oh, the warning light, who cares? I'm going to go ahead and do that. It's better, as Paul writes, to leave room for growth. To allow God to change the conscience. And you know what? He may never on my, like she may always not like Halloween. She's like asking me for a Saturday morning in the kitchen. Dad, can you order me the Chuck Smith book, The Truth Behind Halloween? I'm like, I don't think so. Because I don't want to create a little legalist. <laughs> like I, I don't, like it's, it's like, no. And she's working through and don't, please don't go harass her about this. This is like, she said I could talk about it, but, but she's reached her conviction. And she knows not to judge others, but for her, she doesn't want to be judged or condemned that she doesn't want to do Halloween. She doesn't want to lie about it. God, it just makes me proud, to be honest. I stumbled across this poem leading into verses 7 through 9. Let's read 7 through 9. It says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. That's where I stop. You see these extremes, the living and the dead, these differences of opinions. We all have different convictions. And again, we're not speaking about things that the Bible clearly lays out. We're we're speaking on issues that the Bible does not clearly lay out, that we reach convictions on. Whether you're convicted about alcohol the same way I am or, the, or different than I am, it doesn't matter. You don't answer to me, you answer to God, and the same goes for me. And this poem, it's called Learning the Bicycle for Heather. It's by Wyatt Prudy from The Balance of Belief. And I, I'm going to try to get through this without getting choked up, but as a dad of the little girls, it's hard. And he writes to his daughter, the older children pedaled past. Oh, how embarrassing. That People silence your cell phones. It's because I had to show Dan Kidder something. It's all Dan's fault. Like, <laughs> deflect, deflect. <laughs> Make counter accusations. Learning the Bicycle for Heather by Wyatt Prudy. The older children pedaled past. Stable as little gyros, spinning hard to supper bath and bed until at last we also quit silent and tired beside the darkening yard were trees now shadowing up instead of down their predictable links can only tease can only tease her head lowered as she walks her bike alone somewhere between her wanting to ride and her certainty she will always fall tomorrow though i will run behind arms out to her to catch her She'll tilt and balance wide of my reach till distance makes her small, smaller, beyond the place that I stop and know that to teach her I had to follow. And when she learned, I had to let her go. The the, the picture of a dad like teaching his little girl how to ride the bike. She falls, she catches her, she falls, she's discouraged. Eventually she gets it and she goes and he recognizes that, that he needs to let his little girl go. Go in order to grow. We need to do this with people in their walk with the Lord. I assure you that when I came to Christ, my theology, looking back 15 years, 
was a joke. I was so wrong on so many different points. And I'm so thankful for the believers that were there that weren't coming down on me like police officers just saying, you need to be fixed in your thinking. But they just love me and allow God's word to kind of shape me and allow me to make mistakes. I know that over the course of the last seven years that I've been here as a pastor, I look back and I'm like, man, the way I handled that situation, I, 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 miss, I handled that incorrectly. And I know that 30 years down the road, looking back at today, I'm going to laugh as an old man at how I thought about stuff to today. I remember in seminary reaching this point where I was grappling with some issues of the scripture. And I think that's half of what Bible college and seminary is, is they throw hand grenades and they say, you deal with it. What does the Bible say? And so you wrestle through it, my finite brain that I just can't put all the pieces together. And I go to one professor and he would say one thing that I go to another professor and he would say the exact opposite. Yet they were friends and they totally disagreed with one another. It's like, how can you, I won't say his name, Dr. So-and-so be a Calvinist. And how can you not be a Calvinist and you guys be like this? They're like, you know what? I feel differently. I have different convictions. It's like, I don't, I'm like, can't you just tell me how it is? They're like, you know what? A baby bird eats its, I mean, a mama bird eats its food, chews it all up, stuff happens down there, and then she, into the baby's mouth. The baby receives it. And he's like, when I come here and teach you, you're getting my regurgitated. You need to learn to eat your own food and to grow. And I'm so thankful for my professors and the Christians over me, allowing me to make mistakes. Don and Christina celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary and we went to Hawaii. One of the things we do at our church here, for some people, thanks uh, to Lloyd Beth, is that when they leave and they go to church somewhere else, they bring back a bulletin from that church. Not as a legalistic thing. It's just kind of, it's sort of a fun tradition. I have no idea how it started. I mean, I know how it started, but I don't know the heart behind how it started. And I saw that they posted when they were in Hawaii that they were in Waikiki Baptist Church on Sunday. But in my quick scrolling of Facebook, I saw Wiki Church. And I was like, how hilarious. Is it like Wikipedia Church? Like the church that knows everything? That's an awesome name. But we could never use it here because we haven't figured everything out yet. And I kind of joked with him about that. But who of us, when we came to Christ, knew everything? We don't. We need room to grow and to figure it out. And so he ends, verse 10. He says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all stand, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now looking at this, the judging. Judging on non-essentials, making assumptions about people i had a few ideas in my brain about this but every story that was coming to illustrate this point involves people from our church so i thought ah i don't want to do that to that person maybe i could ask him permission but i'm like "Ah, i'm gonna hold it but but morally how like i handled things incorrectly over the last seven years by judging somebody without having all the facts 
And so I was running this week. Thankfully, my plantar fasciitis is after a year is finally getting better. I'm running, listening to a sermon on judging by Chuck Swindoll. He tells this illustration. He says, I want you to learn from my mistake. I feel like he's given me permission to share his story because he said so in the message. Be free, you know, use this. I'd rather you learn from my mistakes. He tells the story. As he tells the story by the end, I'm running through Daily Ranch with like tears coming down my face. He tells a story where he went to a conference where he was the keynote speaker over the course of five days. He taught every day and there was this guy that was in the front row, like the very front row sleeping every day, snoring. He said he wouldn't even make it three minutes into the message before he was out. One day he made it to the introduction or through the introduction and he was out and he was with his wife. And he said the whole week he's judging this guy saying, you know what? His wife brought him here. The wife's forcing him to come to this, this conference. And what, like he's not here because he wants to. His wife's addressed. And he had all of his judgmental thoughts about the guy. At the end of the conference, his wife approaches Chuck Swindoll and says, can I speak with you privately? And Chuck's like, yeah. He's thinking, yeah, he wants, she wants to talk to me to apologize for her husband. He didn't want to be there. She's hoping he's, like, he's got the whole story in his mind. And she says, I want to thank you for being so kind and gracious to my husband. He's on the very last few days of cancer. He's terminal. He's been on hospice for months. He's so drugged up that he can barely stay awake. And he said that before he died, he wanted nothing more than to hear you preach life. And Chuck's now like crying. I'm like, like, and and he's like, guys, you don't understand. We don't know. We are not good judges. And we're not good judges because first, we don't know all the facts. Like every cop will tell you two stories and both of the people are lying and the truth is somewhere. We don't know motives. So we need to stop judging each other. Don't let, don't be gossiping. Don't let your kids be doing it. We need to allow room to grow. Now we're going to take communion. And before we go, I'd like you to all shift over to Philippians chapter 3. And dealing with these differences, we, we, we all struggle on both sides. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I, I love this. He sits in a prison. The church is worried about him. And he writes, I Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many are perfect or really could be translated mature or strong in today's passage that we're in. As many of us as are perfect have this attitude and. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. And if you think differently, I'm going to leave room so that God can adjust that attitude. Verse 16, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. What's the standard? The standard is Christ. I'm going to tell a musical analogy and we're in trouble already because for anybody that knows me i have i have two things that keep me from really 
reaching my full potential in music. I am tone deaf and I have no rhythm. But other than that, I have a lot of potential. And so I stand here on a stage with multiple instruments. There's a, there's a piano, and if the girls were here, there'd be voices and voices on the boys, a guitar with six strings and another guitar with four strings. I know it's a bass. I'm just being silly. And there's drums. Uh, all of these instruments make very different sounds. When I was in high school, I thought I could take an easy class, music. Oh, this is me. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. But my favorite instrument that I liked playing was this little, like, silver thing, a fork, a tuner, they called it. And you could whack it on people or on your own knee, and it make your knee bounce. And you would whack it, and you go, wow, wow, wow. It makes a noise. And you have to whack it again, wow, and as you move it around, it make different noises. And some people, I don't understand. See, I don't have it. This is why I'm lacking. See, Don, if he had that, he would whack it. He'd have his guitar and he'd go, boom. Now he's got to tweak it a little bit. Bow. And somehow he can tell that, oh, now it's making the right sound. Now I can tune all the rest of the strings. Then any instrument from that guitar can then tune itself. But they're making different noises. Yet they're all in tune because they all are in line with the standard that, boom. Now, our standard as Christians is Christ. We make different sounds. We're different giftings. We have different personalities. We we have different passions. And as we take communion, when we we remember that Christ died on the cross for us, it wasn't that you did anything. It's that he died for you and did it all. It's a time for us to to confess our sin. If you're not a Christian, believing in Christ is how you become a Christian. And becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you stop sinning. It just means that you're a forgiven sinner. And so as we take communion, we're reminded, I need to confess this junk. And as we take communion, I'd ask you that what I want you to pray is, Lord, help me to be in tune with you. Because if we all get in tune with Christ, with our different convictions, it's okay. It'll be a beautiful sound. Because there's love there. We're, there's humility. And so the way we do communion here is everybody, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to take communion. If you're not a Christian, it's as simple as believing. And then if you're not a Christian now, but you believe now, and then you're, now you're good to go. Um, but what we do is we lay out the communion here. We're going to sing a song. And just to bow your head and to pray and ask God to, maybe you need stuff to confess. Maybe you're, you're resisting him in areas. I don't know. But give him thanks for what he's done for you. And when you're ready, just come forward and grab your element. Go back to your seat and you can take communion whenever you're ready. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, I am. Lord, the longer I walk with you, Lord, the more I'm in awe of your grace. Your graciousness and patience and love, Lord, towards me towards humanity. And Father, as we take communion today, we confess our propensity, Lord, to to go two routes, often simultaneously, Lord, of in our freedom in Christ, Lord, to then harbor ill towards those that are not as strong as we are in that area. And for those of us who are weak, who 
build up rules and convictions, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to develop and walk in our convictions, Lord, as the only person we need to measure them against and with is you. Father, I pray that you would help us to take our eyes off other people. Lord, help us to not be judgmental. Lord, may we be filled with your love, your grace, Lord. Father, help us, for we are in desperate need of you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.